we've got a uh, magnificent panel uh, right now on sort of what the health system of the future looks like in a tremendously changing time. I've got four amazing panelists. Uh, we've got Dr. Andrabe, who is the CEO currently of ThetaCare, known him for a long time and is doing just uh, fantastic. We've got Cliff Majerian, uh, CEO of University, University Hospital, also great, great system. Dr. Laura Farisi, uh, orthopedic physician who runs or helps to run New York Presbyterian, uh, one of the highest regarded health systems in the country. We've got Jaywan Ru, Dr. Ru, uh, a reformed lawyer who runs also probably the, the leading source of sort of population health. No one leads population health better than the Geisinger Health System. We're going to talk about what the health system of the future looks like in a moment. Before we do so, we've got a partner from GuideHouse, uh, large consulting member, Edward Abraham, who's got uh, 30 seconds about GuideHouse, which is the sponsor of the session. So, Edward, I'm going to turn it to you, and thank you so much. Good. Thanks very morning. Thanks very much, and good morning to everyone. As mentioned, I met Abraham. I'm a partner at GuideHouse. Before joining GuideHouse, I was the CEO of the University of Miami House System, was dean at two different medical schools, University of Miami and Wake Forest. Um, GuideHouse was formed through a merger between the public sector arm of one of the big four consultancies and the former Navigant Consulting, which many of you know, which was heavily uh, involved in healthcare consulting. We have more than 13,000 employees at the present time. GuideHouse Health Team was recognized in 2021 by Modern Healthcare as the third largest of the healthcare consulting firms in the country. And we help hospitals and health systems, government agencies, life sciences and retail companies, uh, and uh, payers, <coughs> excuse me, government agencies, <coughs> excuse me, um, to face their challenges in their respective fields. Uh, we do so by integrating strategy and policy expertise with deep industry partnerships across the healthcare health ecosystem and well beyond that. <clears throat> Our team includes uh, experts in multiple different areas. Uh, we have experts in healthcare administration and finances. We have clinicians members of health systems, hospitals, and clinics as well. Uh, these experts have decades of strategy, funding, policy, revenue cycle, digital and retail health, cybersecurity, managed care, managed services experience. It's really quite a remarkable team. We're honored to be part of this conference, very honored to be uh, a sponsor, to be part of this session in particular uh, with such a distinguished panel of experts. So thank you very much. Thank you very much. Let me start with our panels and jump right into this. Dr. Root, tell us a little bit about yourself and about the guys in your system. Sure. Uh, I'm an ER physician by training. I grew up actually not far from here in the northern suburbs of Chicago. Um, but I'm, I'm an ER physician who sort of got into the intersection between payment and delivery of healthcare uh, earlier in my career, and that's what landed me at Geisinger about five and a half years ago as the chief medical officer. 
and been serving in this role as the CEO for a little more than three years now. Uh, Geisinger's been around for uh, 107 years now, and uh, I think one of the things that we've been able to do over the years is really innovate in terms of different care models. And I think the fact that we have our own health plan has fueled a lot of that, but uh, looking forward to taking part in the discussion today. And, and Dr. Ruh, take, take one moment on two or three points of pride in the Geisinger system. Yeah, so um, I think we, we probably have the claim to fame that just about anything you would see in the healthcare industry, we actually have represented within our uh, Geisinger organization. We have a medical school, we have hospitals, employed physicians, clinics, uh, innovation, research, sort of all happening together. And I think it's the integration and the coming together of all of those functions that does help us to think about care delivery and financing in fundamentally different ways. Thank you very much. Dr. Farisi, I ask you to introduce yourself. Tell us a little bit about yourself, an amazing background, and also about the NYP system. Sure, thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. I'm Laura Fries. I'm the Chief Operating Officer at uh, New York Presbyterian. I'm an orthopedic surgeon and uh, practiced that for a number of years in an academic setting and then moved into becoming a hospital executive where I've been in many different roles, including the Corporate Chief Medical Officer and running some of our hospitals. I've been the COO of the entire system for the last seven years. New York Presbyterian is a 10-hospital system in Metro New York about 45,000 uh, team members and about $10 billion in revenue. Very privileged, you say, uh, Scott, what's uh, something that we're very proud of? Very proud to work with not one, but two medical school partners, Columbia and Weill Cornell, and that's really what drives our care. And Scott, if I can anticipate your next question about what is a source of real pride, I think it's really been about the care we've delivered, but most especially in these last few years. I think everybody knows how hard New York was hit with the first wave of COVID, and we really took care of so many New Yorkers and are very proud of what our team did around that. Thank you, Dr. Vries. And, and, and take one moment on mixing this balance of being an elite, elite health system, always ranked in the top five by U.S. News and World Report, but great academic medical centers, and being somewhat of a safety net hospital, too, and taking care of everybody. One moment on that is a, is, a, is a point of pride in how one mixes those two roles. Sure, thank you. Um, New York Presbyterian, um, sometimes uh, people think you know, it's just taking care of uh, a segment of the population. So not true. We take care, uh, as we're the third largest provider of Medicaid services in New York, which has a large Medicaid program. And it is about that balance, which is really constantly thinking about how are we able to make that mission. It's a very diverse patient population by virtue of how many different sites we are in and around the New York area. Dr. Majerian, University Hospitals is one of the great gems in the country. Sometimes in your community, you sort of fight with some other great gems in the country. Not fight, but, but, but balance. Talk a little bit about yourself, University Hospitals, and, and, and some of the points of pride in University Hospitals just got this amazing innovation arm. Well, thank you, Scott. Um, <clears throat> a little bit about myself, how I got here. I'm an otolaryngology surgeon, um, mainly focused on cochlear implantation for uh, kids and, uh, and adults. Uh, but I got into management really by becoming department chair both at the medical school, Case Western, and University Hospitals, and later ran the physician organization and been CEO um, for about a year and a half and then prior to that, president of the organization. So University Hospital started about almost 160 years ago in Cleveland. It was one of the original 
uh, academic centers in the United States of America. And we've grown now to be 23 hospitals, including five of our joint ventures. We have about 32,000 employees. We're an admixture, if you will, of a really a top 10 funded by, um, uh, by uh, NIH funding uh, hospital system in the United States, but with a fairly robust community arm with our, as I mentioned, our 23 hospitals. And so we're deep into uh, academic um, prowess, um, but we're also deep into the notion of being able to do that, but at the same time, uh, be a high value provider for the nearly 22 counties uh, that we're now in. We've grown fairly rapidly. We used to be nine hospitals uh, in uh, 2010, now we're at 23 hospitals. So a lot of things going on, a lot of balancing of things that historically don't all fall into one system. And I don't think people realize that you're a top 10 hospital in NIH funding. Yeah. That, that's an amazing thing. One other or two other points of pride in the university hospital system, Dr. Majerian. Well, I, I think um, we've been on, the, 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 one of the big sources of pride for us is that, uh, as Laura was alluding to, uh, we also have a major footprint in some of the primary responsibility of taking care of um, uh, the inner cities uh, that we serve, especially Cleveland. Uh, close to, if you will, in our children's hospital, 70% of the care is Medicaid-based. So we are number one. Our pride is that we treat the community as our patient. Um, and we become very, uh, very decisive about how we do that. And then we juxtapose that uh, with the academic activities with the notion of being a value provider. We went down that journey about four, five years ago. Uh, certainly, we're probably a little bit behind Geisinger, uh, but nevertheless, we fortunate this last year, we were rated the number two out of 540 uh, Medicare ACOs and MSSP, the number two in terms of uh, quality points divided by a cost per member. We've been able to drop cost per member per year from uh, about $11,800 to now $8,200 per member per year in our MSSP, so we're now moving that into the commercial frame. So we're proud that we can balance a couple worlds that historically live in different systems into one. And, and Dr. Andrabe, people don't realize about ThetaCare, perhaps, that's got one of the greatest leadership institutes in the country in terms of training physicians and leaders all throughout the country. Tell us a little bit about yourself and about ThetaCare. Yeah, thank you, uh, Scott. Uh, so I'm a family physician, um, started in Ohio. Um, as an intern and then ended up as the CEO at Mercy Health in Toledo and five years ago came to ThetaCare. And um, ThetaCare is a tremendous organization that's been there for now about 113 years. Um, very well known for its lean uh, work uh, in healthcare. Um, and we continue to do that work with respect to uh, leadership development, with respect to our people, uh, and we uh, respect to our community. Uh, the things that um, we are most proud of is that ThetaCare uh, is, is not an academic center, so it is a community-based health system regionally placed, about eight hospitals soon to be, and majority of our work actually gets done in our rural communities. Uh, and, and that's uh, where, you know, a whole host of the population of our country exists. And their needs and requirements are very different uh, than the needs in our urban uh, communities as well. So we have the opportunity to really reach out and take care of folks uh, from that perspective, and we also have the opportunity to have regional referral centers that can do the secondary tertiary care as well. Um, I'm tremendously proud of our teams, uh, the work that they are doing, and the work that they have done and contributed to the health and well-being 
in the last two years, particularly with COVID. Thank you very, very much. We've got four great physician leaders as CEOs of great systems. I'm going to focus really on two primary questions. First, what does the great system of the future have to look like? What does it have to look like and be great at five years from now, 10 years from now? What does it have to look like? The second thing I'd love to ask, because we're facing these looming workforce shortages, 330 million people, not nearly enough doctors, specialists, nurses, et cetera. Can we fix medical education? Can we make it shorter? Can we make it more efficient? Can we, get, can we make it easier to produce more great doctors, nurses, clinicians, but it may be a faster pace? I mean, I'd like to focus on those two, two things, given the, 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 the field that we have here. Dr. Rue, let me ask you to start with, what, do you, what is Geisinger, what does a great system have to look like? What do they have to be doing? What are the three or four things they have to be great at five years from 10 years from now to be a great health system? Yeah, we're, we're from firm believers that the system of the future has to get more care upstream, uh, meaning outside the hospitals and into the homes, into clinics, uh, the virtual sphere, um, and prevention, of course, being the ideal. Um, I think that's where it goes hand in hand with the payment methodologies also need to shift in order to support that, because I think in traditional fee-for-service payment, there's a pretty hefty incentive to continue to drive more care into these hospital platforms. And so for us, we believe um, that the future, if you think about all the talk around consumer-driven healthcare, what do consumers expect and what do they want? Uh, the reality is not many people wake up and say, I want to go to the hospital for my care. And yet the payment methodologies, if you're in fee-for-service, pushes the systems exactly in that direction. So we would say, you know, if you're designing that system of the future, then part and parcel with that has to be the payment model of the future, and it's got to be prepayment, you know, um, population-based, call it uh, financing at risk, whatever you want to call it, uh, value-based payment. We think that's where the future needs to be. And let me ask you a question about this. We have 330 million people, a growing population. We're still a lot less focused on preventive care. The two other nations with bigger population, a billion plus, have flipped the switch more so, and they almost had an absolute need to do so, towards preventive care models because they just didn't have the back-end resources to treat people if they're all sick. Is there an ability to flip a switcher or push a switcher towards a more preventive care model, and are we going to need to do so, just giving the juxtaposition of people versus doctors and providers and clinicians? Yeah, I think uh, it gets to your second question around labor, or at least we would argue that it does. You know, if you're a student of demographics, which we are, um, the demographics in this country, as people age, the needs go up. And so it's interesting if you look at the history of the Medicare program, you know, late 60s, I believe, when that program started, I think it was something like four to six workers for every one Medicare beneficiary, and that ratio is now plummeted. And so if you just look societally, um, and with the impending labor shortage, the, uh, the real labor shortage that we're already going through, I think prevention makes all the sense in the world. And even those alternate sites of care that I described, turns out care in the home is a lot less labor intensive than care in the hospital. And so I think the issues of labor, demography, payment, affordability, and access, and consumer expectations, I believe all of those things are tied, and they all point to the same solution. Dr. Faris, some of these problems are becoming clearer and clearer to all of us. So really, two questions. What does the health system, what does MYP have to be magnificent at 
three, five, ten years from now? Where do you have to be just great? And, and as we see these, very problems becoming clearer and clearer to us, the demographic problems, more and more people, not nearly keeping up in the number of providers. How do we get to a problem-solving mode on some of that? And the health systems, I think, are very focused on solving it. How do we get the country looking at it that way, too? Is that possible? Well, in terms of the health system of the future, you know, where we need to be, we've got to be great at the problems of tomorrow. We're an academic medical center and an integrated center, and so we have to be able to solve those. But we've got to also focus, I'll pick up on what Jaywan said, we've got to focus on the consumer. All those things are irrelevant if people are not coming. And if we're not making it easy for people to get in, that sort of frictionless care, people are going to go elsewhere. Just think about how we all interact in our daily worlds in so many other parts of our lives. Same in healthcare. So it's got to be easy. It's got to be someone you trust. You've got to know that you're getting that, that great system. And so as we're focusing on you know, making sure that people get what they need, that's a big uh, part of who we are. Again, that whole notion of the digital transformation, it's come up a lot now as we're thinking about it, but it's got to be using technology in the right way. It can't replace the people interactions that are so critical. Otherwise, we've lost the trust uh, in terms of who we are. And I think that that, to your second question, is really what we have to think about now as consumers of healthcare, which we all are. Uh, we've got to get back to some trust. There's a lot of mistrust now around healthcare leaders. We've gone through a traumatic couple of years. And so for all of us, if we want to make sure that the public is with us, that our patients are going to be there, as Jay Wan's talking about prevention, we want to change the shape of what American healthcare looks like. So we're putting money into different things. We have to make sure that people trust us as healthcare organizations. Can everybody hear him back? Is, is sound okay in back? Yeah. Okay, great. Thank you so much. Dr. Faris, next question. You're trained as an orthopedic surgeon, which means four years of medical school, four or five years of residency, maybe a fellowship. So by the time you're actually practicing early 30s or whatever, and probably lots of debt, depending on family background and all those kinds of things, can we cut a couple years out of that? I think we're going to have to. Uh, and, and we've already seen it uh, during my, uh, I think probably for all of us, as we looked at what training used to be, now we're shortening it. But as we're doing that, we need to make sure that we're hitting on the important pieces. So um, medical education looks different. We're seeing different nursing education. We're seeing it different everywhere. We've had to think about even something like our orientation in the hospital setting. We can't take the same time that we used to. We've got to get uh, you know, able people there who are talented at the bedside, whether it's physicians, nurses, and other specialties other areas. So it's incumbent on us as leaders to think about what are we going to do in the classroom? How are we flipping the classroom? That's huge in education right now. And what has to be on the job? And how are we then monitoring what you're doing when you are receiving that on-the-job training? Another question. I think the number is there's five million nurses or so in the country, a million or so doctors. About 20,000 doctors go to med school a year. You know, 50,000 plus apply. Don't we need a lot more medical spots and residency spots? Or it just seems like those numbers are out of whack for the size of population well, we have. Look, that's a that's a freighted question, right? In terms of how we think about uh, future state, we definitely need more people in healthcare. K 
caring for people, exactly though what they're going to be doing, again, in my medical lifetime, I think that's true for, for all of us here, the types of jobs have shifted. So again, that top of the license discussion is really important here, whether you're looking at you know, what a pharmacist is doing versus a pharmacy tech or a physician is doing versus all of the other people who are part of our healthcare teams. We have to make sure that we have people doing the right jobs and also that we're using technology, right? Technology can help us if we do it in the right way. It can take some of those routine tasks out of a lot of different roles. But again, you can't just slap it in. We've got to be thoughtful. New York Press has 10 hospitals, two great medical schools, academic medical centers. What does that look like in 10 years from now? I mean, you've got Northwell that's got, I don't know how many hospitals, uh, biggest employer, I think, in New York now. What, what does the New York Press have to look like? They, they, they just have to be magnificent what they do and the locations are at. What does that have to look have like to, to be? We have to connect the dots, right? So not every one of our hospitals is the same size and scope, and we've got to make sure that, that we are connecting for patients, right? So if this is what you need, here's how we provide it, including, as Jaywan said beautifully, a lot of this has got to be in the home. So the system of the future has to be in person but also connected virtually, and we have to provide that. You allude to New York. It's very competitive in New York, as again, we're all used to. So we've got to find, there's a lot of people out there who need healthcare, so we've got to make sure that we are meeting the needs of our communities that may look different for us in our different areas, but at the end of the day, we've got to provide all of those services or make it easy for our patients to receive services with our partners, because it isn't just always about what we can do, it can be about how we provide that care in a variety of ways. Thank you very much. Dr. Majerian, 23 hospitals, one of the great research institutions in the country. What do you have to look like 10 years from now? Well, thank you, Scott. You know, we believe we need to be there in five, not 10. And I think that um, what we have decided and, and pretty much put um, our eggs in this basket is that we believe to be successful and be one that continues to draw more and more folks who want to come onto our platform. We have to really meld four major differentiators, that we think we have uh, semblances of those uh, uh, skills, but we need to double down and be a lot better. I think the number four, alluding a little bit to what Laura just said, number one, uh, and, and it sounds very simple and very soft, is that we need to be uh, a organization that's perceived at every touch point when a patient or someone calls us, and in between their appointments, as being kind, compassionate, where the patients are treated as an individual, not as a number. And uh, we are doubling down on that with metrics, KPIs, and everything. We have to blend that with number two as a differentiator, the ability to be uh, a high-value provider, not only, if you will, for Medicare plans, for commercial plans. We're not, if you will, like J1, we don't have a health plan. We just don't believe that's our area. But we believe that by providing the value that I described, the proof point with regards to MSSP and Medicare, that more and more uh, companies uh, that have the ability to, to deliver um, straight to company or direct to employer care will choose us. Walmart recently made that decision with uh, hip and knee uh, surgeries. And then, and then patients with discretionary ability will move toward us because ultimately they pay a bigger part of care out of their other pocket. That's number two. Number three, we have to be able to maximize our ability to be an innovation leader and a research leader by delivering tangible, practical, uh, translatable, if you will, discoveries to our community and the nation in real time. And I think the best example is when we were all doing everything with regards to testing, uh, 
taking care of our COVID patients, if you will, um, changing out our activities, we also doubled down on clinical trials. We became the first hospital in the U.S., Site 001, to test and prove remdesivir works. We're the first hospital in the country to do the oral clinical trials on the new oral COVID uh, therapeutic. And we have been able to now really uptick that as well as our innovations team. You have to be able to provide. And if you don't have a basic science foundation like we have, it can be in innovations, it can be in care design, care delivery. Uh, that has to be part of your ability to deliver uh, meaningful changes in healthcare delivery to the community. And number four, we believe you have to treat with the emerging evidence that your 